Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 31 this morning. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning and to sing your praises and to worship you through the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are constantly aware of how blessed we are uh, to be able to come here and worship the way that we do. I pray that you would give us an understanding of how many people across the world don't have these opportunities. Many people across the world are worshiping in persecution and opposition. And they don't get to come into a temperature-controlled building and sit on a cushioned pew and, and be able to worship in safety. And so, Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to understand that and help us to be appreciative of all that you've given us. I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning, that we would be mindful of the need to speak of the gospel with boldness the way that we're seeing Peter and John do in the last couple of chapters of Acts. Lord, help us deepen our love for you. And from that, I pray that it would overflow into our love for our neighbor. Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, over the last two weeks, our study of the book of Acts has seen a tense situation develop between Peter and John and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. It all started when Peter healed a lame beggar who was looking for money and he ended up getting something much better instead. Right After spending his entire life unable to walk, Peter looked at the man, he said, I don't have any money for you, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And he reaches down, he pulls the man up, and he does this kind of casually on his way to the temple to pray. And as you would imagine, when you've got a man who had been sitting outside the temple for a long time, we know he had been lame for over 40 years, we don't know how long he had been begging, uh, but... It says that he was sat out there daily. So for a long time, he would sit out there and beg for money. So you can imagine seeing a miracle like this would cause quite a stir. And it does. It draws a crowd. People are coming to figure out what's going on. Why all of a sudden there's a man who was once lame is up and leaping and praising the Lord. And so Peter takes the opportunity, you know, when you get a crowd together, Take that chance, take the opportunity, uh, and preach about who Jesus is. And so Peter took that opportunity. He preaches about the circumstances that had surrounded Jesus' death and about the reality of his resurrection. And in his message, Peter made it clear that 
Like this that just happened here, me healing this man did not come from my power. It did not come from my godliness. Everything came through faith in the name of Jesus. And he called the people then and there to repent of their sins and to walk away and to reestablish a right worshiping relationship with God. And all of this commotion brought annoyance to the religious leaders. They were annoyed because Peter and John were preaching about the resurrection. They were annoyed because of the commotion outside of the temple. And so they arrested Peter and John in an effort to keep them from spreading this message of Jesus' resurrection um, any further. They don't want this message going out. So they put them away for the night because it was late. And then they addressed it in the morning. So they made the apostles stand before their group and give an account of whose authority and whose power gave you the right to do this. And we saw that Peter had a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then he answers their question and takes the opportunity yet again, another crowd gathered together, and he preaches the gospel again. He says, I did this through the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified, the one that rose from the dead. And the response of the religious leaders is heartbreaking. Instead of seeing the truth of all that had happened with Jesus, instead of seeing the truth in the Scriptures, which they are experts in, they instead, they try to intimidate Peter. They try to get him to stop spreading this message. Instead of repenting of their sin, they dive deeper into it. They try to push harder away the truth of the message of God, the gospel. And what was Peter's response to that intimidation? He says, who do you think we should listen to, God or you? We're not able to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And the religious leaders realized that they couldn't punish Peter and John at this point because the people were giving praise to God for the miracle that had happened. And so they threatened them again and they sent them on their way. And so today, in our passage this morning, we're going to see how Peter and John handled this attempt at suppressing their message. And from this passage, we're going to consider how we should handle opposition when we stand firm in our faith the way Peter did. All right? So let's take a look at the passage, Acts 4, 23, verses, I mean, Acts 4, 23 to 31. It says, After they were released... They went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and whatever your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak, with your, speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." 
When they had prayed, the place where they had assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So after they're released, Peter and John, they go back to the church and they tell them everything that had transpired with the religious leaders. And what do we see the church do in response to the pressure that's now being put on them by the ruling authorities? Did we see them cower in fear? No. Did they resolve to be less open with the message of salvation that Jesus had commissioned them to take into the world? No. No, what did they do? They prayed. They were facing opposition and they prayed. And when they prayed, what did they pray? Did they pray that the persecution and threats that they had would go away? Again, the answer is no. Did they pray that the hearts of the leadership would soften to the message of the gospel? No. Did they think first of their comfort and ease? No. They didn't think of any of these things. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with praying for a difficult time in our lives to change. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. There's certainly nothing wrong with praying for people's hearts to change, to praying that they would open up to the message of the gospel, especially when they are actively trying to crush the message and trying to keep the people that are sharing the message from going out and being able uh, to do it, when they're actively trying to keep people from being able to hear it. Uh, we should absolutely be praying for the hearts of those people. We should be praying for their salvation. But what if... God, in His wisdom and in His sovereignty, what if He chooses not to answer those prayer requests? And what if those prayer requests don't go the way we want them to? Right? We pray for change and no change happens. What do we do with that? What if the persecution never goes away? What if the difficult situation never changes? What if the hearts that we're praying for never soften to the message of the gospel? What then? Well, if our prayers are focused solely on changing the situation and nothing changes, then we could be tempted into thinking some false things about God and some false things about our relationship with Him. We might begin to believe that God doesn't have the power to do the things that we're asking Him to do, or maybe we believe that God doesn't love us enough to make those things change. I mean, have you ever been praying for something that you've wanted desperately and God has either said no or wait up until this point? And has that ever crossed your mind that maybe God doesn't love you? I mean, I've had those thoughts. Neither of these things are true, though. God is completely sovereign over all things, over everything. And He loves us enough to sacrifice His Son, right? When we deserve to be condemned for our sin, God loves us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross in our place to take our punishment and to give us His righteousness. That's how much we are loved by God. And so we see here that the church in Acts understands the truth. That's the reason why they don't ask for any of those things. So instead of asking for the situation to change, the church asked to be changed by the situation. Did you notice that? 
They didn't ask for the situation to change. They asked to be changed by the situation. They didn't pray for peace or comfort and ease. They prayed for boldness to stand firm in the face of their persecution. Make us bold so that when we see this, we stand firm. And what comes to mind for them to make them bold? We see two things in this prayer that lets us know what they're holding on to as they begin to attract the ire of the ruling authorities. The first thing we see is their awareness of God's power. In the opening uh, of the church's prayer, the CSB uh, translation that I preach from uses the word master here. Other translations use the word sovereign Lord. Either way, both options convey the point of control. Complete and utter control. So right from the outset, they're declaring that there is nothing outside of God's control and there's no authority that's higher than God. He made everything. And if He exerts His will on anything in His creation, it will submit to His desires. Therefore, nothing can upend God's plans. So if the church is experiencing persecution, God knew that it was going to happen and He's going to use it to accomplish His goals. This is what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he says this in Romans 8. Uh, it's uh, verse 18. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And then if you skip down to verse 28, going to the end of the chapter, he says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right. This is acknowledgement of God's power. Verse 32 says, He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, to be clear, everything that happens to the believer is not good. That's not what Paul said. He didn't say everything that happens is good. But everything works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And how does that work? God uses 
all of our circumstances to conform us into the image of Christ. And so when we experience opposition, when we experience persecution, when we experience struggles in this life, it's meant to sand off all of our rough edges and it reveals Jesus once the shaping is complete. It's this constant changing from the old man to the new man. So no matter how bad the circumstances get, nothing can separate us from the love of God. God is in control and nothing can separate us from His love. Now, the early church didn't get to rely on the beauty of Romans chapter 8, right? They have not, these people haven't even met Paul yet or not, haven't been persecuted by him yet. He's coming soon. And so what did they do What did they rely on to help them get through their difficult times? Well, what did they lean on in this moment? They recalled Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And this is the second thing that helped them ask for boldness instead of comfort. The early church knew the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures and they leaned into the promises of God that they found there. In Psalm 2, the church realizes that the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of King David. And in that psalm, God is letting the people know that there are going to be people that are going to rage against him. And that they're going to try to overthrow his plans. But ultimately, their efforts are futile. They cannot win. The kings of the earth and other rulers are going to try to take their stand against God, but in the end, all of those efforts are going to be in vain. So the early church can ask for boldness because they know that God is sovereign. They know that He is in complete control and nothing that the rulers or the authorities can do will stand against God's sovereign plan. So that's what they asked for. They wanted boldness to keep proclaiming the message in the face of the opposition that was looming over them. And so, and they also asked for God to continue with His miraculous healings for other signs and wonders to be performed in the name of Jesus so that the message is authenticated. This is of God. And at the end of the prayer, God affirms that He's heard the prayer by shaking the place where they were Right? That's quite the amen. right? And he answers their prayer by giving them all a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And because of this, they all begin to speak the Word of God boldly. So, I mean, it's a simple passage. What does it mean for us, though? Right? What does it mean for us? How can we apply this Scripture to our lives? Well, first off, For this scripture to apply to our lives, we have to face persecution for the gospel. That means that we are sharing the gospel in the context in which God has placed us and we're standing up for God's commandments in the face of a culture that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. If you're doing that, at some point, someone's going to have a problem with you. They're not going to like the fact that you're calling them a sinner. They're not going to like the fact that you tell them that they can't live their life however they want to. They don't want to bow the knee to God. They don't want to submit themselves to any kind of authority like that. And so 
there's going to be opposition if we are being faithful to proclaim this message. Jesus made it clear throughout his ministry that his followers would experience hardship, trials, and persecution in this world. In John 15, 18 to 20, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. He says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So if we're being obedient to the commands that God has given us, if we are being obedient to the great commission where we're going out and attempting to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to act the way that God has called us to act, and if we are going through the process of obeying the great commandments where we first love God, and it says, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right, you'll honor what he has said. And then from the overflow of that, we will love others. If we are doing these things, then we are likely to experience opposition at the very least. Right? At the very least, we're going to experience some opposition. And at some point, I believe coming in the near future, we're going to see outright persecution. Right? Maybe a little bit of opposition now, outright persecution coming for the church in America soon. And when this happens, the text says there's four things that we need. There's four things that we need, and that this is in the order in which they appear. The first thing it says we need is the church. All right? It says when Peter and John experienced persecution, they came back to the church. Notice, though, that when they came back to the church, the church didn't do a holy huddle. They didn't put a protective perimeter around themselves so that they would be protected from the opposition. The church is making it a point to be out in the world, and they are welcoming the world in. Right? The, the option is out there. Peter is putting it out there at every opportunity to repent and come, come in. We want you to be a part of this. Repent. Turn back. Get in the right relationship with the Father. But the problem is, they don't want that. And so the church is supposed to be a place that looks different from what's out there. It's not a place where we keep people out, and it's not a place where we try to huddle up and stay ourselves, but it's different than what we go out into the world to every single week. It's different because we have a special relationship among the people of God. It's a special relationship because it offers support. It offers prayer. It offers protection against sin. It offers accountability. It offers discipleship. And we could keep going on, the, on down the list of all the wonderful things that the church offers. And I'm here to say, straight up, boldly, that you do not have a right understanding of the Christian faith if you have ready access to the church like we are blessed to have. Right? A church on every corner pretty much. And if you have that blessing of God and you don't make yourself a part of it, you do not have a right understanding of the Christian faith. 
There are believers all around the world who would love to have the opportunities that the church here in America often takes for granted. They might be the only believer in their family. They might be the only believer in their city or their country. And they have nobody to worship with. They have nobody to hold them accountable for sin. They have nobody to lean into when times get hard. And, I mean, what would they think coming here and seeing a church everywhere? I mean, literally everywhere. And some people thinking, I don't need that. I can be a Christian and not have any part of that. I mean, there's no excuses for that. Are there issues in the church? Yes. Yes. Yes, there are so many issues in every church. It's a group of simple, sinful people that are so screwed up that God had to come down, put on flesh, and die, and take on our sin, and give us His righteousness. That's how messed up we are. All right? I've said it over and over again. The cross outs us all. We are jacked up people. Guess what? We got room for one more. Or ten more. Or thirty more. So, yeah. We're jacked up. You're jacked up. Let's be jacked up together and work on it so that we can become more like Christ. Like We've got to stop making excuses for why we don't think church is a necessity. Why we don't think the body of Christ is important. Don't, do not make the mistake of going at this alone. I've tried it. It did not go well. I got disillusioned with the church when I was leaving high school. I went into college, didn't find a church home, and walked stupidly for about three years of my life that I'm not particularly proud of. Don't try to go it alone. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Like we have a real enemy. And it's so much easier to be devoured alone. Right? Have you ever watched the Discovery Channel? You ever see which one the lion gets in the herd? It's the one that's in the back, the one that's not with the group. The people of God are here for your protection. The people of God are here for your edification, for your support. And we need you to be those things for us as well. Do not stand alone, especially when we have moments of persecution. And the second thing that we need when we face persecution is prayer. We have been given an amazing gift through our relationship with Christ. We have unrestricted access to God at all times. At all times. Think about the highest authority that you can possibly imagine in your own life. Your boss, right? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there's an even higher one that, you, I don't know, your community watch person. I don't know. But imagine having to get a meeting with them. What do you have to do? You gotta make sure that their calendar is cleared off. You gotta make sure you set up an appointment. You gotta make sure that you approach them in the right way. 
Well, because of the relationship that we have with God through Christ, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. And so now, instead of having a king that I have to make an appointment with and have to make sure that I, I mean, I have to be respectful, but I can come into the throne room of God like a kid, like if one of my kids come running, running in here right now and just screaming, Daddy. Right? There's, there's nothing restricting us from that. No matter what is going on in our life, we can go before the throne room of God. We can lay everything that is going on with us at His feet. And we know that He is neither too busy nor too annoyed with us to hear it. And He always cares. He always cares. When life gets hard, it's significantly harder if we don't have the opportunity to engage with God in prayer. And that's what the church do. They experience persecution. They take, go back to the church and they all pray together. Number three, the third thing we need is a right understanding of who God is. When we understand who God is and what he is capable of, then our perspective of the world changes. Right? When we see chaos, we know that God has a plan. When we see towering opposition that is threatening us and is offering to crush us if we don't bow the knee to whatever idol they want us to worship at the time, we know that before God, that is not opposition at all. Maybe they can crush me, but you can't crush my daddy. On top of that, we see God as Father who wants the best for us and who's there for us whenever we need Him. All right, so when we have that perspective of God, it changes the way that everything looks when it's coming at us. It changes every hardship. It changes every struggle. And if we don't have the right understanding of God, then it causes us to push away instead of to pull in. And then we get into all that mess that we were talking about before about being alone. And lastly, we need to rely on the Scriptures. This is how we come to our knowledge of who God is. Right? We can't have a proper understanding of who God is without spending time in Scripture. This is where we're taught to pray. This is where we learn of the importance of the church. This is where we learn about the promises of God. This is where we find the good news of the gospel. In the scriptures, we have everything that we need to be trained up in righteousness so that the people of God can be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, I'm certain that each one of us could probably use some work bolstering ourselves up in at least one of these areas. Don't you think? Right? Isn't there something here that we could spend some time working on, getting better at, finding more value in, whether it be our understanding of the church, our understanding of prayer, our understanding of God, or the Scriptures? And if you're going to rely on these things in times of opposition, the, in, the time to engage in it is now. Right? You don't want to be in the midst of opposition and persecution and then wonder, you know, what does God say I should do in this moment? Who is God in this moment? What does prayer do in this moment? 
How valuable is the church in this moment? Right? When they were opposed, they had this scripture stored up in their heart. They had their understanding of who God is stored up in their heart. And they called on that in a moment where life might get a little scary for them. And it's going to get a lot scary real soon. Right? The only thing that stayed the hands of the religious authorities in this moment was the people's opinion. And soon this is going to change. Persecution is going to come hardcore for the church and it's going to cause the church to ripple out into the places that God said it was going to go. Right? So even in the midst of their persecution, the religious authorities are falling into the plan of God. They're sending out the message everywhere that Jesus said the message would go. So there's nothing to be afraid of, but there's a lot of work to do. And if I can help with any of this in any of these areas of your life, that's what I'm here for. I love you and I want to see you bold and proclaiming the glories of God no matter what comes your way. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would be mindful of how glorious it is to be called your children. When we look at you, I pray that we would see your sovereignty. I pray that we would see your love. And while I understand that there is real hardship, persecution, opposition, or when it comes up next to you, it looks like nothing. And so I pray that we would trust your plan whenever it does come for us. I pray that we would surround ourselves with your people so that we would have someone to fall back on whenever the persecution gets strong, whenever we're afraid, whenever we need someone to help us carry, help carry us through when our faith wavers. Lord, give us confidence in your word and help us to remember the importance of prayer and in this, I pray that we would see people come into faith because of our bold message that we speak as we go out from this place every single week. Lord, I love you. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.